Hey, Real Talk listeners, we are at our last episode of the series, and it is called Motivation of the Future Workforce. Michelle, welcome back. And our listeners listening, obviously, welcome back. But holy crap, I think this is such a challenging topic. Like we just talked about the employee experience in our last episode. We talked about really creating a career path. We've talked about DEI and really how that's in, important in each and every decision we make, as well as how we're going to hire the right candidates and the EVP. But we're challenged in a couple of new things, Michelle, like where companies are trying to figure out what's going to motivate the future workforce to get their butts in a seat and stay there. You know, it's interesting. It was easy to do this motivation. And I'm going to use a, a few pretty famous organizations as an example, but it was easy to decide what motivated people pre-2019, December 2019, or January 2020, when it, when uh, COVID truly hit the U.S. hard. For example, if you were Google, you wanted really innovative, super smart people who would work 24 hours a day to try to come up with the latest, greatest smart thing. Then you put in sleeping nooks. You let them bring their dogs to work so they didn't have to worry about pet care. You know, my biggest hangup with going into the office to help clients is what I'm going to do with my COVID dog because he's used to being around me all the time. So if I worked for Google, I'd bring my dog to work, right? There are pool tables so they could, um, play when they needed to let some steam off, you know, 24-hour cafeteria so you could eat whenever you needed to. It was easier to look at that. It was even, I think, easier to build around the differences in, say, an extroverted personality versus an introverted personality when you were in the same office. You I loved the footprint of the Wendy's company that was purposely designed. So you, some of the little um, office spaces were designed where three was the perfect size for this little conference room and 27 was the size of this conference room. And so I was always booking the room of three and we've got all our brainstorm walls and Olivia and Sharon and I could just go in and brainstorm all day long. I feel like it was a lot easier when we were in one space. And now you're trying to, there's a couple things we're trying to accommodate for. We're trying to accommodate for the person that's still in the office that has to be a part of communication. We're accommodating for people who literally, you know, if you've got a, a conference call with 12 people on it, you are literally, you, you are probably at 12 different work sites. Sometimes it's your closet. Sometimes it might be a dedicated area or your kitchen, and then somebody might actually be in the office, because I know you kept going to the office the minute California said it was okay to go in. You went back to the office for quite some time before your company's policy changed. So now you're, you're trying to accommodate for all of those. Then you've got individual people with individual desires, and then you've got leaders who have no effing clue how to manage a workforce that is sitting in 12 different places. Wow, life is tough. That's that's another piece of it. Virtual environments um, and how, you know, it was interesting because back in the day, one of the questions 
recruiters used to ask were, how do you manage in a virtual organization or virtual environment? And if leaders have previously led virtually, I feel like now every person can answer that question. But the question leaders have to ask themselves now is, were they successful and do they know? Because they can all say, yeah, I've done it. You know, we did it during the pandemic. I did it during Corona. But now I think that question pivots to see if they were truly successful leading remotely. Yeah, I think the question has to be posed to the employees of the leaders when you're asking what is working or not. But what that means is as an organization, you've got to be prepared to teach those leaders to collect that information and to receive it well when they get it. Um, Because, oh, I will tell you, I am Zoom video burnt the fuck out. Yeah, we were just talking about this in a meeting this week. And as much as individuals, I, Michelle, we were talking about this before, you know, we started recording this and I, and I want to hear, I, I want you to kind of reiterate this, this topic to individuals, but people who are introverts are exhausted by being on camera and on each and every day. It's not even about the stranger, like when, when you think of introvert and extrovert, it's like, um, most people think, um, you're an introvert. You don't want to go to a party and start new conversations and socially having those conversations because it's exhausting to pull from people. And same thing. Like when I was a facilitator, like I would literally do a facilitation class from nine to five. And then literally by five 30, I'd be asleep in my hotel room, like until the next day at five o'clock, like I would sleep for 12 hours because it was exhausting and mentally like burning, trying to, you know, pull information out of people because conversations don't energize me, but it's not even about the energy, Michelle. It's like when you're on, you have to be prim proper. Your, your hair has to be done. You're like, you have to have facial expressions. Like it just seems like it's more work to be on a video call, um, than anything else these days. And it's like back to back to back. And it's not even just your appearance because there is that, right. That people are like, you know, oh, you didn't do your hair today. Oh, <laughs> whatever. You, you know, you're wearing a t-shirt instead of a business shirt or whatever it is. But now if I forget to throw up my zoom background, you judge in the fact that I didn't do dishes last night or that I'm working from the office today or my child's running. Like there's just so much And the reason that that becomes a challenge in this virtual space is because I can no longer, so now I've got 12 individual pictures on my screen, right? I can no longer assess the mood of the room the way I did before. And so I'm constantly bouncing from person to person and there's things coming in and out. It is a constant distraction. And what I find, and this may just be me as an INFP, but I think that you experienced some of it, is I find that I get so distracted by all of the visual that I don't hear all of the words. Even before we knew that this pandemic was going to go until the end of time, That was a joke and it won't, but whatever. Even before then, I remember both of my coaches asking me, did I want to do Zoom calls or conference calls? And the three of us collectively agreed 
because, well, on different conversations. So the three of us don't talk together. I have two separate coaches, but all three of us agreed that without the visual distractions, that there is a higher emphasis placed on words and tone. And so you tend to pick up nuances that you don't when the face is there to distract you. And just like you said earlier, when you're on Zoom, you've got the expressions and you try to keep all of that under control and you're busy trying to pay attention to how so-and-so is reacting to what you're saying instead of just saying what you want to say. And so we find from the world of coaching that we have better dialogues without the visual. So then I, we talked about this too, but I'm going to challenge for those leaders on the call right now. Well, if I don't have the visual up, Michelle, of what you're looking like, and we just go back to phone calls or turning the video off, then how do I know you're paying attention and not multitasking? Okay, so Maria, you know, sometimes I say things that people don't like to hear, right? (laughs) Prepared for this one, all these leaders in the world. Okay, so first of all, if your calls are so effing boring that I can do all that multitasking, you need to ask yourself if that should be a call to begin with or an email. So I would start there. If you are having the types of calls where interaction from multiple people is not necessary in order for the call to happen, then why are you having a call? I actually had the opportunity Friday to observe a team meeting in South Carolina. We currently have no restrictions. So they were at the workforce. They were, I mean, they were socially distanced because it was huge space, but um, not because our CDC requires it or not because our DHEC requires it. And it literally went like this, come to work on time. We think it's probably a good idea that you get, I don't want any of you to get sick. So I would would encourage you all to really think about the vaccination because nobody wants you to be sick. And um, here's what's happening next week. And here's who's off next week. And then Bam! It didn't go that quickly. Obviously, there were filler words and shit in there to make the 20 minutes worth last. But the entire time I was listening, there were a couple of things that I gave feedback on. But the entire time I was listening, what I kept thinking to myself was this should have been an FYI that you posted on the board for people to read. This should not have been at no point whatsoever was anyone else's opinion solicited ever. So why did I even need to be there? And why couldn't I read it myself? Now, I've always had this opinion. I had a really great mentor when I started training. Um, I had several, but his name was Joey Conley. And Joey taught me something right away that I still argue with trainers today who are perfectionists about. Um, He always told me, he said, never, ever, ever do for the learner, what the learner can do for themselves. And so from that moment forward, I never used a PowerPoint. I never handed out a notebook. I never read anything from a notebook. If they could read the document, I was not going to stand in front of a room and tell them what the freaking document said. The same thing goes with the meeting. So 
I know that was a long-winded way for me to get on a soapbox and tell you if your meetings fucking suck, don't have them. But if your meetings suck, don't have them. Two, this can be so hard for some of you to get over, but I'm going to put it out there. I'm a freaking multitasker. Get over it. I doodle on conference calls. Maria is looking at me right now. How many times have I leaned over and fidgeted with my dog? I've turned off a call from my nephew. I've returned a text from my nephew during the podcast. And I guarantee guys, even without editing, not once did it come across like I wasn't paying attention to this podcast. Okay. So me looking at another piece of paper and not giving you 100% of my undivided attention is stupid. Um, It is also why the educational systems in America need to be changed because they were designed to make people show up for work and behave like Stepford employees. And that's not the way people behave anymore. So we all need to move into 21st century. If, however, I'm going to pause. I'm going to give you guys as leaders. I'm going to give you an out. If, however, you have a call where you discuss critical things that are supposed to be happening, and I spend the entire time unable to answer questions when you ask me, or I do not execute on the things that you informed me during that call, that is called performance coaching. And that is where you pull me aside as an individual and say, Michelle, you suck. Do better. But there you go. So I would tell you, get over the fact that they're multitasking or have better meetings where they get to participate. Yeah, I agree. That's the most critical component. Um, Like you mentioned, Michelle, it's like big brother situation. Like, (laughs) Calm down. Yeah. And we're going to have listeners disagree with us on the call, especially executives or any senior leaders listening, because there's so many people that like want to see faces and make sure cameras are on during meetings. It's it's interesting. So I don't know. It's kind of like it took a really long time. And I don't even think everybody got there with meetings, but it was kind of like when, as an organization, when we started to to break down times that you would interact with employees, right? And we were like, you might have a one-on-one, you might have a team huddle, you might have a full-blown meeting, right? And we as HR tried to explain that different topics should be occurring in those meetings. Like, let's say you have a 10-minute huddle at the start of your shift, and everybody attends that meeting, that place is the place where it's like, okay, guys, here's who's here's today. Here's what we're working on today. Here's some of the challenges we're going to have today. Go team. Woo. It's kind of like a team huddle in sports. It is just a recap what is happening today. It should be short. It should be quick. And it probably for some people gets a little boring at times because that that topic doesn't relate to them. Like, I don't care if Jane's out today, but you might, Maria, because that means you've got to answer the phones in place of her. But that's really what that meeting is for. A one-on-one is when you talk to me about my development. Performance coaching is when you talk to me about the stuff I'm doing great or the stuff I'm not doing great with. Team meetings, in my opinion, if it's not a brainstorm, it should be time for you to inspire your team, rally them around something. So 
I know it's a lot of stuff and it becomes annoying to have to keep up with what should I talk about when, but it becomes critical because the topic lends itself to the audience. If you were to talk to anyone, HR related or not, just talk to anyone who knows anything about communication and effective communication, what they're going to tell you is first, you know, your topic. But the second thing you got to identify is who is your audience and that who is your audience and what is your topic piece should decide how the message gets delivered. I believe, so to complicate the story even more, I believe in person, on Zoom, on a conference call, literally a telephone line with camera, without camera, I think all of those things become questions related to what is my topic, what is my intent, and who is my audience. And there are going to be times where, hey, I do want to see you. If we're just having a weekly check-in call, I might want to see your face. So we announce in advance. Every Monday, I paused, not because I'm multitasking, but because you know I love shiny things. Stop having conference calls on Mondays and Fridays, people. Okay? Stop it. So... I'm going to change my phrase. Every Tuesday when we have our team catch-up meeting, that's when we just want to make sure each other is okay and seeing each other is important. We're always going to have our project brainstorms on Zoom because it gives us another channel like texting where people can communicate even if they don't have the mic. Zoom should just be another potential method for how you communicate, it shouldn't be the only method. And I think that's where those people that would argue with us got it wrong, is it became the only new method for communication instead of being one of several methods of communication. Yeah, and I agree. I think that's the area and the component that people need to think about. And, and I think that's also what is, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about communication, but, you know, kind of diverting back to what's going to motivate um, the workforce in the future. I think there is Zoom fatigue happening right now, and that's demotivating. And so when we're talking about like, like you started off, Michelle, you were like, oh, yeah, ping pong tables and pool tables and all these things and, and not, you know, sleep pods, whatever it is. All these things were what were motivating the workforce. Now you have to think about the virtual environments, including Zoom fatigue, things that you're going to consider on what's going to motivate or demotivate your workforce in the future and how you're going to attract the top talent and retain them through that process. And I think that's what every leader, and it's going to be different from organization to organization. I think... It, when you're talking about like manufacturing or like essential workforce, they're not going to be in a virtual environment. So what's going to continue motivating them in a live environment? And then what's going to motivate people in a virtual environment? Yeah, if if you are a department that is product driven, where you actually create an actual product manufacturing as a result of your work, how you communicate and the tools that you use and how you engage is going to look completely different than what it would be if you if you lead a, a thought tank or a think tank. And it, it should. 
But I think that's where you've got to go back and you've got to ask some questions. Okay, so I tend to wear my expressions on my face. So I don't even have to say, if if you've got me face to face, I don't even have to say the things that annoy other people because my face says them before my mouth does. I've tried to hide it. I'm really good at it when I have to be. But there's some value for me in not being face-to-face with certain groups because I can have an initial reaction without saying anything and then rein my own self in and then respond appropriately. I do tend to, like most people in the world, have a reaction first and then I have to rein myself in. When we're face-to-face, I can't. I can't tell you how many times I've had leaders, well, no, I can. It was one particular leader and that particular leader sucked at being a leader, but my face would have a reaction (laughs) and she'd be like, what do you want to say? And I'd be like, nothing. I'm just trying to process it. Give me a second to process it. And then I would say equally half the time I was like, okay, that makes sense. It was just, I needed to hear it and think it through because that's the way, frankly, most introverts in the world process stuff, um, in case you did not know, is that we have to actually think about it for a minute or two before we make a decision. And it became impossible for me to actually think things through because even if I did that little, you know, that thing where you squint your eyebrows together, um, that's my thinking face. Um, Even if I did my thinking face, it was automatically assumed that I was disagreeing and that wasn't the case. It was just trying to think through what I just heard. And so there you go. Yeah. So I think for leaders on this call, HR, you know, you as an individual, think about what's going to motivate you in the future. And I think you guys need to reassess all of the fancy, shiny pieces you had in your corporate America environment and what's going to be shiny for your individuals. And we're happy to give recommendations here today, but at the end of the day, it's going to differ from location to location, individual to individual to company to company. So it totally will. I will tell you it is tough, but we can definitely give you some recommendations of places to start. One of the things looking through total rewards, one of the things that I found stood out to a ton of employees were organizations that put together a serious care package, like a home office care package. So it might have like a few ergonomic pieces or a light bulb that gives you better light than the average house bulb. But sending those little $25 care pack, I think one organization said they spent about $25. A few larger organizations might have spent $100 a package, but sending those out to people so that they could have stuff. Another thing that just stood out as for employees as amazing and attractive was being told that they had an office budget allowance. And it's not that they went crazy. It wasn't like everybody went, oh, I'm going to go buy a stand-up desk. It was knowing that you as an employer recognize you can't just walk down to the supply closet and get new pins anymore. So now you've got something minimal, $20 a month 
to refill your post-it notes, your notepads, your batteries for your devices, because you can't get it. So it really is rethink. But I think that to Maria's point, rethink starts with having a conversation with some of your employees. I agree. So that wraps up our series. Gosh, Michelle, we've talked about so many interesting, challenging topics, and I know we're both passionate in certain areas about them. So if you have more questions for us, shoot us an email, support at realtalent.com or individually to each one of our names um, or uh, reach out to us on LinkedIn. Until next time, listeners, take care. Bye. Bye.